And then we're going to shift to talking about what it means to be a good neighbor. But today I've called it uh, God Does Lunch. God Does Lunch. You know how sometimes you'll see someone say, let's grab lunch sometime. And, and typically that means let's catch up with each other's lives. Let's, let's, uh, I need to find out what's going on. And so, so God wants to catch up with your life. Now last week, just if you weren't here, just a quick reminder. It was the big weekend where God puts... A new letter in Abram's name and Sarai's name. Yahweh, in the Hebrew, there are four letters. Two of them are the letter He. And God adds the letter He to Abram, which makes it Abraham, and the letter He to Sarai, which makes it Sarah. And it's powerful what happens because it's kind of like God is saying, you now will be the father and mother of many, many nations. And boy, has that come to pass still to this day. And so uh, Ishmael was born uh, through Hagar, that big mess that they had. It's been silent for 13 years. And God shows up once again and starts talking to Abraham and Sarah. Now let me ask you a question. Let's just start out with kind of this idea of being together. How many of you have ever been on a date? Okay, okay. And if you haven't yet, just hang in there. It'll happen, okay? Some of you young people, hang in there. Why do people date? What's the point? Yeah, to get to, to, get, to get to know each other. To find out if you have things in common. Even some of you who found each other online, you know, there's a profile. And, and um, hopefully if you're integral... And I don't know how it all works, but I know that I've met many of you who have met online. I think that's great. But there comes a point when you're done with the online and the chat room and all of that, and you say, let's meet. I remember, I remember driving from Central Bible College in Springfield, Missouri, all the way to Grand Junction, Colorado, when I was attending there, because I met this beautiful young woman named Bonnie in high school. And I would, I went off to college and I remember driving about, it was about just over a thousand miles, almost 1100 miles one way. And I would leave class after Thursday ditch on Friday. I would leave, I would leave it after class and drive all night and half the day. 24 hours later, I would end up at Bonnie's house. We would go out on a date Friday, spend Saturday together. I'd drop her off at midnight Saturday night, head all the way back to Missouri. Why? Because this was before FaceTime and Skype. No. No, the truth is, I wanted to be with her. There's something powerful about being in the presence of someone that you love and you get to know them. And It's different in Skype or FaceTime. Though that's wonderful, you're not experiencing the same moment. The same aromas, the same food, the taste, the wind, the whatever it is, the elements where you are, they are. And there's something powerful about touching someone's hand and being fully present in the moment. God wanted to have lunch with Abraham. God wanted to physically come down to this earth and hang out with Abraham and Sarah. And so he did. In this story, you're going to see it, I'm going to read it, the Lord Jesus who has always been in existence, um, Abraham calls him the Lord, Adonai, which means he recognized that this was Jehovah. And then the other two people in the story were probably angelic creatures who put on human form. And so that's kind of where we pick it up. The first thing I want you to write down in your outline is this. Do I welcome the Lord's presence? 
Do I really welcome the Lord's presence? Do I really want Him in my life? Um, or do I just say that? Or do I just assume that I want Him in my life? How much work am I willing to go do in order to have Him in my life? Well, God's chasing you. Look at verse 1 of Genesis 18. The Lord appeared again to Abraham near the oak grove belonging to Mamre. One day Abraham was sitting at the entrance of his tent during the hottest part of the day. He looked up and noticed three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he ran to meet them, and he welcomed them, bowing low to the ground. That's fascinating to me, because here's Abraham. It's the hottest part of the day, and it gets really hot in that part of the country. And he looks up and sees these three guys. Now, I'm not sure if he immediately knew that it was the Lord, but when he runs down there to them and sees them, he says, My Lord. And so he must recognize this is God. And so, uh, uh, but look at him. He saw them. He ran toward them. And I started thinking in my life, what am I running toward? What are the things you are running for? Is it, is it the purposes of God in your life? Or are you running after all these other things? Abraham was running to where God was. I think it's just a great picture to have in your mind. God wanted to be Abraham's number one. And I think he's pleased when he sees Abraham running down to where they were. Then when he got there, he bowed low to the ground. Which is basically meaning, I worship, I adore, I humble myself before you because I know who you are. And that's another reason I believe that Abraham knew that this was the Lord. He wasn't afraid to be near God and with God. And he valued the presence of God. Number two in your outline, when do I hang out with God? When do I actually have time to be with the Lord? Now, it would be one thing if every afternoon the Lord would show up in your house physically and you could have a chat. That, that doesn't happen much to us, does it? We walk by faith. I've never seen the Lord. I've never had Him uh, come to me in physical form that I know of. And so I can't even imagine what this is like. But, but look at verse 3. Abraham says, My Lord, if it pleases you, stop here for a while. And rather than just reading on, I want us to stop here for a minute. Abraham is asking the Lord not to be in a hurry, but to camp out here for a while and let's spend some time together. I don't know about you, but in my life sometimes I feel like I need to get my devotions in so I can get on and get moving. You know, okay, God, hey, hey, how you doing? Good, 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 good to see you, good to see you. Yep, word of God, that was good today. Okay, talk to you tonight. Okay, bye-bye. It's, it's, it's like this fast, and, and what does it mean to say, whoa, 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 let's sit a while. Let's, let's talk a little bit. Can you hang out with me? And, and I think we all have different approaches to how we approach God. Let me give you three or four approaches that I see in Christians, in this country especially. One of them would be the grocery cart approach. The grocery cart approach is kind of like, like, you know, and I love, I actually, you can ask my wife, I love grocery shopping. I just love it. Because, especially when I'm really hungry. And she's like, Derry, you're just hungry, you will never eat that. I'm like, I'll eat it today. I'll eat it in the car, but it's not cooked. I don't care. I'm hungry. But I love, I love going grocery shopping. And and sometimes we treat Jesus kind of like we do the grocery cart. We, we just add Jesus like we add everything else into our life. And we consume it. 
Jesus, we just become consumers of Jesus stuff. And we pray, but we view God kind of like the stuff in our grocery cart. It doesn't mean that much, and we're going to have to repeat it. Other people view this approach, have this approach of what I would call the emergency room approach. Help! It's like they're going through the, a crisis when something bad happens in their life, and I mean all of a sudden they are all about needing God. Ever been there? Now here's the good thing about this. God doesn't say, oh, you need me now, huh? Well, too bad. Where were you last week when everything was going great? No, God doesn't do that. God is happy and satisfied and grateful when his kids cry out his name in any circumstances, anywhere, anytime. So know that. But I think it's better if you actually keep a relationship going with God so that when you get in crisis, your approach is not just always an emergency situation when you cry out for help. I think, I think another approach that I've seen is the legalism approach. I grew up with a little of this. Um, but I grew up in a great home. But well, we had devotions at set times and did th- things a certain way. And I mean, when, when, when church was open, we were at church. And uh, all of that. And some people have this legalism like, okay, from 6 to 7, I've got to be reading my Bible. I've got to be reading four chapters a day because if I read four chapters a day, I'll get through the Bible in one year. You've got to read the Bible through in a year if you're a really good Christian. It goes a little faster if you skip Leviticus because it's not worth reading anyway. <laughs> right? <laughs> all those parts. All those body parts. Wow. But, but there's this, this something that happens to us if we fall into this trap of saying, no, I've got to pray here, now, this time frame. And if I don't get it, God's ticked. He's angry. He's mad. And he's not going to answer any of my prayers. And, oh, God, I'm so sorry. I, I only had five minutes today to do my devotions. I know I'm a horrible person. You hate me. I know. I'm so sorry. Forgive me, God. Tomorrow I'll do seven minutes instead of five. How would you like it? We have three kids. I, I just can't even imagine if my kids had that view of me as their dad. That I would be angry all the time, that they could never be enough, that they could never measure up, and I'm looking to catch them. I I, I would just be broken hearted. Sometimes I think that legalism approach breaks the heart of God. God wants you to have relationship with Him. He wants you to have lunch with Him. He wants you to take the time to to feel who He is and for you to know who He is and to learn about Him and His presence and know it. But this is not about a guilt trip. Another approach that I often see in church is kind of what I might call like the the flower child approach. And this is like being super spirit-led about everything. How many of you remember the hippie movement back in the 60s? How many of you were one? Okay, a few of you. And I, and I wasn't, so, so I don't relate to this fully, but, but I've, I've seen and watched. And, and I have met people in their walk with God. It's just like, whoa. God's talking to me. Okay, dude. Tell me, dude. Just lay it on me, dude. Okay. This is what I should wear today. This is where I need to go today. God's talking to me. I literally have been in a conversation. This one guy especially no longer lives in Fort Collins. But he would say to me, we'd be in the middle of a conversation. He would go, oh, hang on just a second. God's trying to say something to me. Okay. Okay. Okay, go ahead. 
I'm like, what did he say? Oh, he's just telling me some stuff I need to know for later. Oh. Does that happen to you? Not me. I think God can talk to us, but I don't think we need to make it strange. I, I think there are impressions. I, I want to be fully engaged with God all the time. And I, I just want to say, if you're one of those, you're not helping the cause. In the real world, right? It's like, oh, you're one of those. Oh, yeah, dude, God's talking to me. Wow. So let's not have the the flower child. Here's the proper approach. Recognize God's a part of your life every day, whether you know it or not, every moment, all the time. He's with you. The Bible says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He's with us. So it's really about us acknowledging that He is with us or not acknowledging that He is with us because He is. Even if you ask Him not to be, like you want to go into some place that you shouldn't be and you say, God, you stay in the car. He doesn't do that. He goes with you. I had a youth pastor one time in the youth group where he gave us these little wiry, bendy uh cute little cartoon character but he had written the name of god up on the hat and he said you put this right on your car you put it in your books you put it in your room everywhere for one week you take this everywhere you are and it was creepy because like that little thing just staring at me all the time i was like oh yeah god's here i better be careful i better not say that i better not tell that i better not you know and it's just such a it's such a wonderful thing to realize god's not there just to catch us but he's there because he wants to love on us and encourage us Number three, the art of hospitality. Now, the story gets fascinating. And Abraham is about to go all out. And he's about to involve Sarah. And they're about to have a meal. But look at what it says first. He runs to meet him. Verse four. He says, rest in the shade of this tree while water is brought to wash your feet. Now, Abraham has lots of servants, so he's got a lot of help. And since you've honored your servant with this visit, let me prepare some food to refresh you before you continue on your journey. All right, they said. Do as you have said. Now, this triggers Abraham into, I mean, this is not just going back and grabbing a Lunchable out of the fridge. How many of you know what a Lunchable is? Okay. Um, He opens up his life and says, come and hang out with me. I want to prepare some stuff. There's thoughtfulness here. Come and rest. It was very common for travelers to be very tired and weary. And they didn't have shoes like we have. They had mostly like the sole of a shoe that they would tie leather straps around to make like a a sandal. But anytime you welcomed a guest, you would always offer water for their feet because it was the way to refresh them quickly. So Abraham does that. He, uh, he says, I'm going to prepare some food. I want you to be refreshed for your journey. Here's the deal. He's aware of their need. Hospitality is being aware of your need. Um, I don't know about you, but like, I think, I've, I've grown up in Colorado my whole life, and Colorado is pretty independent. Would you agree? I mean, I think we're friendly, but like, have you ever been to the South? And like, they, they call it Southern Hospitality. How many of you have been there? We had a little time, nine months, uh, in between my second and third year of college, I spent nine months in ministry as a youth pastor just outside of Nashville, Tennessee, a place called Hendersonville. And Bonnie and I got married during that nine months. She came and joined me after about four months. 
And we were married and moved there. And they had a true southern hospitality. I mean, people were just friendly. And, and I just couldn't believe everyone would talk to you. And, and it was just kind of like, wow, I'm overwhelmed with how friendly everybody is. Well, we had this, we got to live in what is called the parsonage. How many of you know what that is? It's a house that usually is right next to the church. It was a very small little house, but it was plenty. There were just two of us. And so we moved into the parsonage. And what we didn't realize was that people really, really thought it would be nice to come and visit us. All the time. So they would get there early for church. And let's go say hi to Darian Bonnie. And I'm, I'm not used to this. I'm... I live in Colorado. We had guns in our house. We protected. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so um, I, I wasn't used to this. And so they would knock on the door. It's 30 minutes till church starts. And there was one guy, Carl, awesome guy, said, well, we're, we're here a little early for church. Thought we'd come and say hi. And I said, okay. Hi. <laughs> well, we just thought we'd get some iced tea or something. You have any iced tea? No. Well, we're early for church. Okay, well, we'll see you there. You know, I mean, I mean, it was just not normal. It wasn't my... I'm a friendly guy, and, and I think hospitality is great, and my wife has that gift, but I, I, just, I'm just, I just wasn't used to it. Here's a guy, Abraham, who says, well, look at what he does. Verse 4. Look at this. Not verse 4. Number 4 in your outline. Serving is not always easy. Look at the trouble he's about to go to. And just, just make applications of some of this to your life, okay? Serving is not always easy. Verse 6. So Abraham ran. Okay? He's been running a lot lately, hasn't he? He ran. He ran back to the tent and he said to Sarah, Hurry, get three large measures of our best flour. Knead it into dough and bake some bread. Oh, really? Guys, if you want to have a good party, get her involved. <laughs> Three measures, large measures of flour, that's enough. If you looked at the times, these, this, is, this is like a, a sack of flour. Huge. It's enough to feed 20 people. She's going to be kneading bread for hours and hours. Then Abraham ran out to the herd. He chose a tender calf. He gave it to his servant who quickly prepared it. When the food was ready, well, that wasn't a half an hour ago, was it? Abraham took some yogurt and milk and the, what, roasted meat. And he served it to the men. As they ate, Abraham waited on them in the shade of the trees. This took hours. This, this took hours. It took all day. And you talk about giving yourself to the work of ministry in order to feed and honor God. How do we, how do we work at the ministry that God has called us to. I just think it's worth thinking about. What, what is the effort that I put in to, to making ministry happen? He, I mean, Sarah's making all this bread. He's choosing this calf. They're butchering this calf. He's roasting it. He's doing all this other stuff. Preparing food just so they can have an amazing meal. Ministry often requires effort. And, and it's hard. And it's not easy. You know what? Yesterday... Uh, some of you in Windsor might have participated in this as well, but our young people, we have the best teenagers on the planet, don't we? Let's tell them we love them. I, I love teenagers. 
called Serve Out Loud, and they just go do nice things for people in the community. 165 people showed up. And uh, they went out and they, they served. They served eight foster homes and adopting families and cleaning their homes and preparing their homes with things that they needed. They cleaned top to bottom the Murphy Center. Uh, and it looks like they had fun doing it, doesn't it? They did random acts of kindness in the Mulberry Corridor, just washing people's cars and helping and providing, just no one asking, just doing nice things. Then they had a big party on the North Lawn out here. These young people gave a day of sweat and labor. Why? To make a difference. There's something that's powerful about us having the mindset that says, I'm going to roll up my sleeves and I'm going to work for the kingdom of God. I'm not going to let it just come to me, but I'm going to go to it. I'm proud of these kids. Number five, will I believe that God can do anything? Will I believe that God can do anything? This is a huge question. We touched on it last week. I'm going to repeat. I read this section last week because it had to do with uh, Sarah's pregnancy. But I want to read it again with a little bit of a different application. Now that you know this story and you know they've been fed, they're sitting around, finally the time comes when the Lord wants to make a declaration over Sarah getting pregnant and having a baby. It's been a great day. They're refreshed. They've eaten. Sarah's probably cleaning up. And verse 9, the Lord says, Where is Sarah, your wife? The visitors asked. She's inside the tent, Abraham replied. Then one of them said, I will return to you about this time next year, and your wife, Sarah, will have a son. Guys, Sarah has wanted a son for decades. This is just an amazing statement. Sarah was listening to this conversation from the tent. Abraham and Sarah were both very old by this time, and Sarah was long past the age of having children. So she laughed silently to herself. We talked about that last, what kind of laugh was it? A little sarcastic like, ha, ha, yeah, right. Just this little laugh. How could a worn out woman like me enjoy such pleasure? Especially when my master, my husband, is also so old. You can just punch your husband if you have one right there. Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? It's an interesting question because... He meant it when he said it, and he's taken back by the fact that she was sarcastic about it because he wasn't joking, and she thought he might just be joking. Why did she say, can an old woman like me have a baby? Is anything too hard for the Lord? What a question. I will return about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. He repeats it again. And Sarah was afraid, so she denied it, saying, I didn't laugh. But the Lord said, no, you did laugh. You are caught. Don't you deny it. You did laugh. I know you laughed. Wow. The time, that time next year, when God visited, Sarah had a son from Abraham as the father. And they named him Isaac. And a whole bunch of stuff happened after that, which you'll see in a little nutshell next week. Thoughts to ponder as we wrap this up. Let me give you just a few thoughts that I think are really important here. Um, The first one is, God often shows up quietly and unannounced. You just never know. 
sometimes, I know God is always with us. He abides in us. You just need to know that He doesn't live in rooms. Like, you know, when people call these rooms like sanctuary. We call this our living room because we talk about life here. Sanctuary, temple, uh, holy of holies. Those are words that are Bible words that have deep meaning. And it's where God did abide in the Old Testament before Jesus. But when we all leave today, God's not stuck in here going, Oh, man, I hope they come back. Because He's in us. He, he abides in us. So He shows up sometimes quietly, unannounced. It's that still, small voice. Listen for it. Watch for it. Number two, don't let routine take out God time. Does your routine push you toward God or away from God? Look at your calendar. How many of you either digitally or, or with paper and pencil put appointments down on a piece of paper? Just take a look at that. Look at your life and say, because if I don't schedule this stuff in, it doesn't happen. And I encourage you not to be afraid to just, at some random time when you can, quiet time with God. Put 30 minutes in there and go sit in the chair. Enjoy something to drink and talk to God and listen to God and just be with God. You'll be surprised what He might say to you. And if he doesn't say anything, you'll be a little rested. You know? It's okay. Number three. The Lord is gracious even in our unbelief. I think that's a big takeaway today. You know, if, if you've gotten cynical about God, the things of God, you don't even know if you believe there's a God. You're among many. But God still loves you and God still cares. And God's not going to whip you for that. He's not going to withdraw his presence for that. Sarah laughed at what God had promised. And she still had a baby. God could have said, okay, you laugh. I'll teach you. You're not going to get pregnant. No. He said, you don't need to laugh. You don't need to worry. This promise, I'm giving it to you. And it's yours. You can be honest and tell God how you really feel. The last thing is, God can do anything. I just don't want you to forget that, you guys. That's probably one of the biggest things I could ever say. And I mean it. God can do anything. What is your impossibility today? What is the thing that your heart is set on, but you just don't know if you have enough faith to trust God for it? He can do it. And you know, I, I, I'm, I just want to say this again. Even if He doesn't, it, it increases my faith to know that He can. And I don't know why sometimes He doesn't. But I know that He can. And it gives me hope to pray and hope to believe. And sometimes He does. (laughs) That's why we pray. That's why we believe. That's why we trust. Would you just bow your head with me? Let's pray together. Oh, just take a moment to listen to Him. Let the calm Spirit of God... love you, Lord. You're an amazing God. This life throws us so many things, so many curveballs, so many surprises. You're our steady. You're that which never changes. You're always available. You're always dependable. You're always kind. Thank you. With heads bowed in here, this is kind of personal, but Some of you are up against something right now that you really 
you really, in a minute, I want you to raise your hand. And raising your hand, you're saying, I'm going to trust God with this one. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to navigate forward. And I really need the boy. I need God to show up and talk to me. Give me wisdom. Show me what to say, what not to say. Um, I'm going to trust God with this one. Raise your hand if that's you. You can put them down. Let's pray. Lord, I, I, I pray for the circumstances, the situation that is very real. And you are a God who knows the details. And I just pray that their faith would be in this God who can do anything. And whether it's relationships or money, um, health, all the big stuff that we often are overwhelmed by, I just ask you to be that God who comes and shows up and gives us comfort and peace. We want to have lunch with you. We want to spend the day with you. We want to make you bread. We want you to stay. Could you stay a while? Secondly, I want to pray over some of you who would say, my routine, honestly, it pushes me away from God so often. I'm busy. I just don't think about it. I just get, maybe you're anxious, you're stressed. Maybe you have one of those jobs. It's very demanding. I get it. But you've got to find a way to let routine bless your relationship with God and not push you away from it. And you need to figure that out. Just raise your hand if that's you. I need to figure that out. Lord, I pray for the wisdom to know, for my brothers and sisters to say, I've got to figure this out. I just ask that they will, that they'll not be afraid to have discussions with you and really talk to uh, close friends about it and look at their life and look at their daily routines. I just pray, God, that they would long to do lunch with God, that they would long to have those quiet moments when they can just be in your presence, maybe say nothing. <laughs> But just be fully. I just thank you for it, God. Lastly, I want to pray for some of you who need the Lord. Maybe you're separated from God. And sin does that. Disobedience does that. But maybe there's a conviction in your heart today that says, God's knocking on my heart and I know he is. Maybe you've never trusted him with your life, really. The Bible says that you have to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus has been raised from the dead. That's, that's more than a formula. And so just pray this with me. Lord, I come today knowing you're drawing me to yourself, and I believe. I believe that's your spirit drawing me to you. I am separated from you. My own sins, my own doing, my own stubbornness is keeping me separated. And right now I surrender my life to you. I do. I pledge my life to you, and I ask you, to show me the right way forward. I believe by faith that you are God, that you died on that cross and rose from the dead for my sin. I'm going to accept that forgiveness by faith, and I'm going to live forgiven from this day forward. I want that relationship with you, Lord. I cherish it already. I need it. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen. Amen.